Welcome to Fine Tuning with Drew Taylor, your one-stop shop when it comes to animation news and commentary. I'm Drew's co-host, entertainment writer Jim Hill, and he and I are recording this on Saturday, May 23rd, 2020. So, happy 3rd of Memorial Day weekend, Drew. Why, thank you, Jim. What are you, what are you guys doing this weekend? Um, <laughs> Sorting through some irregularly shaped vegetables, perhaps? Uh, no, oh, God. <laughs> you had to bring that up. Seriously, yesterday I was down to my last vegetable. Dad, out of this pack of, of from Misfit Markets, it was a butternut squash. It's been sitting on my counter for two weeks now, mocking me. And Nancy was like, well, you know, we go to Panera's. They have that wonderful squash soup. I found a recipe. Why don't you do this? Eight hours later, you know, because first you have to cook the squash. Then you have to <laughs> scrape the meat out of the squash. Then you have to puree the meat. Then you have to, because you don't have vegetable broth, you have to make chicken broth. And then because the chicken broth is salty, you have to figure out a way to just, I started at one o'clock in the afternoon. At eight o'clock at night, we are eating the soup. Two measly tiny bowls, you know? <laughs> I know. I think we're going to try to attempt to waltz chili this weekend, Jim. So I'll, I'll let you know how that goes. Okay. Well, just, just remember, he died. <laughs> probably while in the middle of trying to make this chili because the probably, recipe is so long. Probably. Do they give you specific types of beans or that sort of thing yeah, you're supposed to chase down? Yeah. I think they're supposed to be pinto beans. Are mm -hmm. they pinto beans? There's some bean that, that we couldn't find in raw bean form, so we have canned. So we'll see okay. if that throws off the whole thing or if it cuts down on the time or something. But, you know, All right. just, well, just, just striving for that Carnation Cafe goodness, Jim. You know what I mean? <laughs> All right. uh, from 3,000 miles away, I'll, I'll be looking on with a sympathy. Because, yes. again, <laughs> just sort of like, again, I could go to Panera's and get this. All right. Anyway, okay, since last we recorded a fine-tuning, uh, a lot of news has broke. First and foremost, the Daytime Emmys news came down, and Disney Junior and Disney Channel actually did quite well. Total of 44 nominations, I want to say. That's amazing. And, yeah. A lot of DuckTales, right? Well, uh, DuckTales picked up a couple, but oddly enough, the, the shows that did extremely well were Elena of Avalor, and I apologize, I, I, this show has been on for several years at this point. I think I've seen a quarter of one episode. Look great. I'm not a six-year-old girl. Right. But again, they picked up seven nominations and an eighth nomination for an hour-long special. Likewise, uh, Rapunzel's Tangled Adventures, which... Uh, by the way, my nieces really, really like, and that just recently came to the end after its third season. That got a boatload of nominations. Likewise, The Rocketeer. Have you, have you seen the redo of Rocketeer with, with the little girl? Uh, yeah, I watched a little bit of it. I'm such a huge Rocketeer fan, mm -hmm. Jim, as you know. Um, mm -hmm. And it just seems like they're just holding on to the rights or something. It's just mm -hmm. so far afield of what the original movie was. I mean, it's like modern day. It's mm -hmm. Cliff's like great grandson or something is in it. I mean, what's his name is actually the voice of the, of Cliff, you know, junior or the third or whatever. But I mean, it's, mm -hmm. it, it, if you think that Elena is young, Jim, this is like preschool. Uh, mm -hmm. So yeah, it's not, it's not great, but the animation is fine. I mean, it's, it serves its demographic, but I just want an, an honest-to-God remake or reboot of Rocketeer that is truly a successor to the original movie. I don't know. Do you love that the movie, too? 
I, I, you know, I remember when the trailers first ran in theaters. I remember distinctly because I, I was watching this and going, I want to see that movie. And then the trailer ended and I noticed that there were like 20 or 30 people around me laughing like, wow, that looks really bad. And it was like at that moment, it's like, this is going to be interesting, you know, because there is a, a great movie there. And anybody who actually saw the film and genuinely enjoyed it. Um, but there were a yeah. lot of people that just would not come out. And, you know, there's always been those stories about how the film was cast and how there were discussions in-house about should we get a name for the Cliff Secord role. And, uh, you know. But you and I both know this was the time at Disney where the uh, methodology about casting was try to get somebody, much like your uh, irregular mm. vegetables, a little past <laughs> their prime, a little unwanted. But, you know, we put them in a movie that we, you know, how many movies they made with Bette Midler and Nick Nolte is like mm. shocking from that period, yeah. you know? Well, you know, wasn't there a joke at one point that Jeffrey Katzenberg supposedly was lurking outside of the Betty Ford Center and, you know, as, <laughs> as you came out? It's like, hey, 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 wait, come here. Um, but no, I I enjoyed that film. And, and more to the point, the, the way it ends, they were deliberately setting up for a sequel. And if you do. Yeah. The last time I watched it, I was really struck by that, too. I, I had forgotten that they have the blueprints for the yep. next. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That also has one of the great teaser posters of all time. You remember that kind of Art Deco poster that just said 1991 at the bottom? It was so cool. And Alan Arkin is wonderful. Timothy Mm -hmm. Dalton is especially wonderful in it. Yes, yes. In fact, just that scene at the Griffith Observatory Mm -hmm. with Paul Soverino, it it really holds up. But at the same time, uh, have you ever seen the Family Guy where they do the the old bamboo parody, a bag of weed, a bag of weed? You know, and, and, and at one point, Stewie makes a reference to the undesirables of society. And it's a line to the effect of guys who watch The Rocketeer. And it's wow. like, so, you know, Drew, we're kind of in a subset of a subset here. Wow. Uh, wow. So. All right. Anyway, getting back to the actual animation news. Last show, we talked about how Gennady Tartakovsky's Popeye has been resurrected uh, now over at King Features. And on the heels of that news, what did you make of the news that Tuca and Birdie, which, remember, got canceled by Netflix last July? Yeah, it takes a lot to get canceled by Netflix. I think I still have a couple of shows still on Netflix (laughs) late into their... Sixth and seventh seasons, but yeah, um, uh, I was shocked. I was shocked. Yeah. yeah. So, all right. It's all we know at this point. It's headed to Adult Swim. Going to show up in 2021. Same deal, though. It's ten episodes, and I, I gotta wonder. I know that. Face it. Anybody who watches Adult Swim knows that they're very comfortable with bloodletting. They're very comfortable with gore over there. But Tuca and Birdie really had. It's it's a strong female perspective. It's really leaned into the Me Too stuff. And the, the character of Tuca was, was fairly out there sexually. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just wondering if Adult Swim knows what it's getting itself into here. Oh, I'm sure they they think that it'll generate some, some press, which I hope it does. I mean, my guess is also that before the new episodes begin, mm-hmm. that the first season will air on on. Cartoon Network, oh, or I'm, I'm sorry, uh, Comedy Central. So I think that we'll see 
from those edits, maybe, what the level they're comfortable with is going into the second season. Excellent point. Okay, yeah. cool. Yeah, yeah, all right. But I'm glad. I'm glad it's coming back. And Yeah, know. no, no, no. Okay. Always happy when, when animators are employed. And Yes. Uh, speaking of, of animators being employed, what do you make of this Josh Cooley news, him headed to Sony to direct his first live action, uh, Malamander. Yeah, I mean, I had never heard, had you heard of the book before? Um, the Thomas Taylor, I mean, yes. this is the thing, again, best-selling children's book. I, I'm sorry, I, I tend to be a couple of sections over from there these yeah. days. Yeah, I saw that he actually released a statement about, you know, I've spent 17 years at Pixar, I'm hoping to bring some of that Pixar magic with me. Which Mm -hmm. was not something he said for the Transformers movie, Mm -hmm. which has already been announced. So this will be after that, conceivably. Mm -hmm. Also, I think I've confirmed that that movie will be an Industrial Light and Magic animation project. So Mm. he's got a lot to work on, Jim. He's got a lot to do. But you saw that that, that Stanton also lined up his next live action feature. No, really? Where? Yeah, it's it's based on a New Yorker story, Mm -hmm. I believe, called... Chairman Spaceman, and it's about a CEO who decides to become an astronaut. Um, Mm. The stigma of John Carter, I guess, has has been washed away, or he's recollected his bona fides. He's been doing a lot of TV work. Um, He did an episode of Tales of the Loop, that new Amazon show. You mentioned that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Um, I guess, you know, I guess the Pixar boys are doing live action. I I was just very disappointed because I really wanted a an original Josh Cooley Pixar movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, he was nominated for the Oscar for co-writing Inside Out. He did that great Riley's First Date short film, mm-hmm. which I think is mm-hmm. brilliant. I don't know how you feel about that one. Well, they, again, a solid expansion of the world. Right. I guess for me, look, John didn't leave under his own volition. But just in the, the past couple of years, you know, we had Darla go over. She has her deal now with Netflix. We lost Lee after 25 years. And now to have Josh headed out the door, you know, it just, I mean, I realize there's a lot of really talented people still up there in Emeryville, but this concern you at all? This much talent kind of strolling away or... No, because I'm what I'm excited about is the next generation of filmmakers. And I think okay. you and I have talked about this, too, about how Pete is incredibly aware of that and mm-hmm. incredibly aware of the reason that the movies at Disney Animation in the 70s and 80s were so out of touch was mm-hmm. because it was just a bunch of old white guys who were trying to exert control over all these wild young animators who weren't allowed to do anything. So instead of something interesting, you got Fox and the Hound. So I'm optimistic. I think okay. that I think that right now the culture at Pixar has never been better well, because good. of certain elements not being there anymore, and I think a, a certain amount of freedom being returned to the studio. And the the movies that are coming up are totally wild and totally unlike anything they've done before. So I'm just I'm I'm excited, Jim. I'm excited. Okay, then right. <laughs> interesting you bring up that point, because if we pivot to the news coming out of Skydance, you know, for example, just in the past week, we had confirmation of Alan Menken and Glenn Slater. They're going to be writing the score for Spellbound there, which, again, previously we've established that's the thing that Linda Wolverton, who, when she was working at Disney, she wrote the screenplay for Beauty and the Beast and Pocahontas. I guess what kind of intrigues me about this is that 
Well, you know, again, you just wrote that wonderful story about dinosaur. Uh, that was over at Sci-Fi, right? Yes, Sci-Fi, uh, yep. Okay, and while you, you were doing that, you were doing deep dives into Kim Masters. Yes, Keys to the Kingdom. Keys to the Kingdom, likewise, James B. Stewart's wonderful Disney War. And God, I hope he's working on a sequel right now, Jim Duggan. <laughs> yeah, I remain ever hopeful. But face it, remember, I, I want to say it's Kim's book that talks about the Pixar rules when they were working on Toy Story about the things they did not want in a film. And it was no songs, you know, no I want moment, no happy village, no love story, no villain. And on the other hand, you look at Spellbound, which is, you know, they flat out describe as a, a musical fantasy. It's about mm. what a, a young girl who's trying to break a spell that split her kingdom in two. I mean, I, I'm not saying that, you know, this is John necessarily betraying what he did at Pixar. Because, again, remember, you know, I think it's Stuart that actually tells that story about, uh, what is it, 2002 or, or thereabouts? He's sitting in a creative conference with Michael Eisner and David Staten, the then head of uh, Disney Feature Animation. And they're talking through the next three to five years worth of Disney animated films. And the topic of the Snow Queen comes up. Mm hmm. And again, here's, here's the quote. Eisner expresses some reservations about the team assigned to Snow Queen and, and then adds, John Lasseter, if we make a new deal with Pixar, and David Staten chimes in, says, you mean when we make a new deal with Pixar? So Eisner continues, I said to John, you can have Snow Queen. He loved it. John said, I want to do a princess movie. So right. you got to wonder, is this finally with Spellbound, him getting his princess movie up out of the ground? Well, I mean, what was Brave, though? Well, <laughs> yeah. Brave was a lot of things, but... It was a lot of things. And in fact, I'm sure someday Brenda Chapman will tell us about it, <laughs> how many things right. it was before right. it, you know, I mean... Well, what did you think about Alan Minken doing the music? That, to me, <laughs> felt like kind of a weird, cheap shot. It's such a strange situation now because depending on who you talk to, take, for example, I guess we need to talk about Frozen closing on Broadway. And, right. and what's kind of interesting about that is that supposedly one of the reasons that was done was that they're mounting four different international productions and the notion was, well, if we do this in London, we could maybe use the New York set in London and, and save a few bucks. Ah, uh, okay. Um, but in the middle of all that, you know, here's Thomas Schumacher talking about, fortunately, they had to close this show. But, you know, we have all of this other stuff that's in development. And they have that version of The Jungle Book that they tried out in 2013. That summer, there was a production in Chicago. And then it went on to Boston to the Huntington Theater. You didn't see uh, it, did you? No, I missed it by inches. It was one of those things where it's like I had tickets and then there was a family thing and we didn't get down to the city to see it. The weird thing of it is, is they used a lot of the Sherman Brothers trunk songs to kind of, you know, fill out the score. And the problem was that, again, they're, they're Richard and Robert, wonderful, you know, earworm songs. But it's just like, what does this have to do with the Richard Kipling? Right. Uh, 
But on the other hand, the other thing he mentioned was that a stage version of Hercules, and it's an expanded version of the thing the public theater did at the Delacorte last summer, that's definitely the worst, which means Alan is still at least on the reservation as far as Disney theatrical is concerned. Well, he's also doing that Gaston show for Disney+. Plus. That's right. Which That's I've heard right. is really cool. I've heard okay. it's really, really cool. Yeah. All right. Well, I am ever hopeful. But Jim, Frozen was your favorite what was your favorite Broadway show of all time. <laughs> <laughs> you know that Look, you, I'm gonna say this. You know that what? in the last six months mm-hmm. there was a camera crew from Disney Plus recording that show. That's all I'm gonna say. I'm gonna say that much like Hamilton in July. Mm-hmm. That at some point soon, we will probably get a Frozen theatrical presentation on Disney+. Plus. That would be, you know... That's the first thing I thought when they said we're closing. I said, oh, then they've definitely documented this thing at some point. Mm -hmm. Okay. That'd be a brilliant way to repurpose it. Now, speaking of camera crews and that sort of thing, you know about the Into the Unknown, the the Making of Frozen 2 thing that's coming. Oh, yeah. I've seen three of the episodes. And... I don't know how much I'm allowed to talk about it, but I loved it, Jim. It is so mm-hmm. good. It is so rich for mm-hmm. people like us, and it is so honest. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it takes place a year out. You know, you and I, you know, are bemoaning the fact they didn't start at six years or, you know, whenever the last mm-hmm. movie came out. But it is great. It is really, really great. Okay. Yeah. So, and all episodes are coming out on the same day on Friday. So you'll Ooh, get to see the okay. whole thing. Yeah. Okay, so again, June 26th, six episodes. Uh, on the other hand, did you get to see the 10 Zenimations that dropped yesterday? Or Yeah, I they sent all of those to us a couple of weeks ago. And it was so funny because mm-hmm. it was like, do, you can't say anything because we haven't even announced it. We're just going to drop it all, you know, kind mm-hmm. of a surprise thing. But yep. I thought it was really interesting and beautiful. Oh, no, 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 absolutely. I just planned on watching one or two of them and getting on with my morning, and I ended up being sucked into all ten. I guess we should talk about, this is David Bess's baby. He's an editor who's worked at Disney for 11-plus years at this point. And Dave was the one who brought the concept to uh, to Disney Animation, which then carried it to Disney+. Plus. But they're really hard to describe because it's just... They kind of break them down into intriguing groupings. There's like water, but there's then water realms. Right. There's cityscapes and flight. Well, can we, should we talk about what the format is exactly? Because well, it's, yeah. it's almost like an ASMR video. It's mm-hmm. just, there's no dialogue. There's no mm-hmm. music, really. It's sound effects and mm-hmm. editing. You're right. It's really an editing accomplishment. And- Right. And that's the thing. In fact, the thing I was marveling at was they go from hand-drawn stuff from the early 50s. I, th- I think the latest piece I saw used was Peter Pan, uh, right up to Frozen 2. And I think that's the ballsy choice is that they will step from hand-drawn animation from the 50s or, or 60s right into CG that's been done within the last 20 years. And it's seamless. It, it, it really does flow together. And it has this, this wonderfully consistent feeling. Mm-hmm. And in a weird sort of way, because so many of the clips that are used here are you know, the equivalent of establishing shots that, you know, okay, this is the location that the scene is about to happen in. And sometimes you get maybe a couple of minutes of action. Mm-hmm. But it's mostly these incredibly still scenes, and 
They really are. I mean, it's just they're ridiculously entertaining in a calm, peaceful yeah. kind of way. And given how chaotic the world is today, it's just sort of like, wow, I, I kind of hope there are more in the works because it's yeah. just sort of like, you know, this is this is exactly what I needed and I didn't know I needed it. And did you see who the executive producer is, Jim? And who well, is yes. the executive producer of Into the Unknown? Yeah, you know, I'm very happy for Amy to you yes. know, see, see her reaching out into the world, you know, that, that's stepping out a bit more. So Also very nice to have an executive producer in your phone. So immediate feedback, Jim. Immediate <laughs> texting. Could we have worked on this a little bit? Could we have tightened it? No, I'm kidding. Every All the things she's been done, done so far are amazing, and I have told her so. So it, it's great to see her, her do that. No, no, I agree. I agree. But but seriously, folks, do go out of your way to check out Zenimations. And actually, also, we got a brand new short mm -hmm. as part of the Pixar Spark Shorts program out. I know you're crazy busy these days. Did you, did you get to see that one? Or? I haven't seen it yet. I heard it was great. I heard it was mm -hmm. long, too. That, was, that has been a criticism, I think, of the Spark Shorts so mm -hmm. far, is that they're a little long. I think this one is almost nine minutes. It is, it is. And and the interesting thing is this actually has kind of a bit in common with the, the Spark Short that got nominated for the Academy Award Kit Bull, uh, in that it, it's oh, more of a painter painterly style. And I, I don't really wanna spoil this too much okay. other than to say the title in a weird sort of way is is kind of giveaway. Right. And at, at the same time, it has this wonderful message about telling the truth, accepting who you really are, and also that maybe your parents aren't quite as dim as you think they are. Right. Let's see. What else? What else? Oh, again, sticking to the Disney Plus side of the street, uh, we got some imagery from the Phineas and Ferb movie, mm -hmm. Candace Against the World. However, we still don't have a release date. Though I did have somebody at the studio point out that the very first time Dan and Swampy did a Phineas and Ferb project of size, it was like the, oh, summer belongs to you. That was August, uh, the first couple of days of August 2010. And so it's sort of like, you know, maybe we're going to be celebrating the 10th anniversary. So, Well, did you also see on that Disney, <laughs> poor Disney Plus, they mm -hmm. have this streaming day sort of event and they mm. announced the Snyder Cut release on the same day. So all the oxygen for, for their <laughs> little, you know, press event is gone. But yeah. you saw that the uh, the Simpsons 4-3 uh, episodes are premiering next week as well. Yeah, yeah. You know, in a weird sort of way, I, I kind of admire that, you know, as soon as that broke... There was like, eh, yep, you're right. We'll we'll fix that. As opposed to the standard digging in the heels, and it's like, right. What problem? I have no idea what you're talking about. Right, but it'll be nice anyway, to see all those jokes again. It will. It will. And speaking of nice things, when we get back here, Drew and I are going to share a bit of nice news about an anime feature we recently talked about. Okay, so it's what? It's been a month or so since we talked with Chris Pern, the director of the Willoughbys. Right. I have to say, genuinely enjoyed that film, and I guess a lot of you did as well. Did you see how many downloads that got in its first month, Drew? No, I didn't until you sent them over, but, you know, they have that, like, top ten list now on Netflix every mm -hmm. time you turn it on, and it's always in there. So I was thinking, oh, man, this must be really doing well, and I'm so happy, too, because it's so great. 
Yeah, yeah. But at the same time, I love that it would be terrific, from my point of view, to have Netflix become a home for these sorts of animated projects without having to deal with sort of the theatrical release that had this piece of straight pipe to connect with audiences. Though speaking of, of films that were released through subscription service or premium video on demand, do we have any numbers yet for, for Scoob or any sense of how it did? I have no idea. I I mean, mm-hmm. I haven't heard anybody talking about it. I don't know how you if you've seen people discussing well, it online or anything. No, I mean, in fact, the irony is the the one thing I've seen people talking about is the very stuff that you had mentioned, the post-credit sequence with the other Hanna-Barbera characters coming in. So, you mm-hmm. know, in fact, Tony was talking about, you know, the bigger universe and stuff we will possibly circle around to for the sequel. But I, I wanted to hearken back to what you talked about when you went there for the long lead day and the artwork you saw. Yeah. Um, did you see the... Oh, the art of Lost and Cancelled Media? Yeah, Yeah. they put up four shots from, again, the earliest attempt at doing Scoob. And they had, for example, the mystery machine in the middle of a wacky races race where, you know, you could see Professor Pat Pending in the background or the Arkansas Chugabug. But the interesting thing is if you looked into the, the mystery machine itself, it was like, you had Blue Falcon in there riding with them, but the vehicle was being driven by Penelope Pitstop. And they they then had this other concept painting where the mystery machine, I guess, had broken down over the course of the race. So here's Penelope you know, putting the jack in place while, I guess, Velma's pulled out the manual from the glove compartment and they've got Daphne, you know, working the phone call in AAA. But who's walking around from the back carrying the spare but Jabberjaw? And it was just one of these things where it's like, this has to have been some of the stuff that Drew saw. No, they didn't have any of this up. I mean, there was literally a Jabberjaw character model sheet. Mm-hmm. There was one for Adam Ant. There was one for Grape Ape. And that mm-hmm. was pretty much it. Wow. Um, wow, this looks a lot more exciting than the movie. <laughs> well, you know, and, and in fact, you know, and that's the thing. They have that one final image of, I guess, Scooby and Penelope in her racer. And, you know, and just sort of the notion of, okay, the two of them look like they're really getting along at that point. At one point, there was a much more ambitious melding of the shows here. And it, it would have been interesting to see what came out of it. But again... If, you know, if enough of us download Scoob, maybe we'll get Scoob too and get to see some of the stuff that Tony was talking about. I feel like we'll get to see Monkeys of Mumbai the way that these (laughs) things are going. Oh, I'm actually hopeful with that. Kevin Lima, the would-be director of Monkeys of Mumbai, has been posting a lot of art and such on his Twitter feed. And man, it's one of those things that the more you see, the more you want to see that movie. Speaking of seeing movies, just this past Wednesday, uh, we had the relaunch of the Wonderful World of Disney TV Night at the Movies thing. And I have to tell you, Drew, that one of the things that made that especially fun is as Moana was running on ABC, you and a bunch of other folks were tweeting up a storm and sharing all of these amazing stories. It was you and Ozan Schurer, the, the producer mm-hmm. of the film, and Jared Bush, the screenwriter, and not only that, but uh, Lynn manuel Miranda was chiming in with stories. Yeah, it was amazing. There were so many cool people involved. I mean, I was very, you know, mm-hmm. I, I didn't, I wasn't even in the right time zone, but I saw mm-hmm. people doing it and I was like, 
Well, I'll just share a couple of fun things. And they got pretty good engagement. I think people liked my comments, so it was fun to do. Well, now, now speaking of which, now you mentioned that when you were working at Disney, uh, mm-hmm. creating content for Oh My Disney, you got to see at least one work-in-progress screening yes. of Moana. And yes. you, you talked about that from the first time you saw it, you knew it was a masterpiece. Oh, yeah. And I thought, well, and I thought it was going to be a much bigger hit. But, mm-hmm. you know, I was like, oh, my God, this is going to make, put this version out in theaters right now mm-hmm. and it'll make a billion dollars, you know. But, okay. Yeah. But that was a different version of the movie in a lot of ways. Like, for example, you talked about how in that version, that was where, you know, Alan Tudyk was voicing the angry version of Hey Hey. Yes. Yes. And what was the conceit there? I mean, he, he basically attacked everybody? Or Yeah, well, was- I mean, it was supposed to be Ron and John are the pig and the chicken, mm-hmm. right? So Ron is the, the mellow... Uh, chubbier fellow and John is angry and you know mm. <laughs> thin and wiry and stuff and and when they showed all these us all these presentations the chicken's on the boat the chicken's off the boat the chicken mm. is out of the movie completely mm-hmm. so to save the chicken hashtag save the chicken hashtag release the Snyder Cut uh, they <laughs> turn the chicken into this dumbass and I think it works so well and you know, they invented the thing where Hey Hey swallows mm-hmm. the stone and then it swallows the, you know, the mystical stone later. And, you mm-hmm. know, so it, it was an interesting process. I think the version I saw too, Pua was on the ship the whole time. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was Pua, I think it was, maybe it was just Pua on the mm-hmm. boat with Moana out to sea. And then that was a whole other thing too is why is the pig on the boat? Can, mm-hmm. You know, can we have the pig be in the boat? You know, and then that came that he's in the boat at the beginning and then they have that terrible storm and then the pig mm-hmm. will not get back on the boat. So it was very interesting. Yeah. Wow. Okay. And speaking of Hey Hey, though, Jared Bush chimed in with a story about, I guess, he had actually been assigned the, okay, we have to officially write the rooster out of the film, but then he got a terrible case of the flu and was out for a week. And I guess... During that time, that was when they realized that, hey, hey, he's not angry, he's stupid. And that's funny. Jared comes back into work and, you know, they're like, we figured it out. It's like, oh, congratulations. And to celebrate, I guess, they had this giant catered fried chicken dinner, which, uh, uh, you know, I'm sorry. Mixed signals, Jim. Mixed signals. <laughs> yes, it seems in- highly inappropriate. Let's see what else. Oh, uh, Jared also told that great story about he had been assigned to write Grandmama's death scene for Moana. And, you know, I guess he was having trouble working in the office. So he took off for the Starbucks that's up the street from the studio. And so he was sitting in there and he was kind of channeling all of his feelings about, well, what would happen if I lost my mom or, you know, that sort of thing. So he's there working in Starbucks with tears streaming down his face. just And they realize at one point that people are kind of eyeballing him out of concern. And it's like, oh, you know, I'm the strange guy in Starbucks guy, you know, now. (laughs) So... Um, now, speaking of which, though, did the version you see have Moana's mom in it? It was the first version with her mom. Well, it was mm. the first version with her mom being alive. I should okay. say that. Yeah. I think that was the, the version I saw was the first mm. one where she was alive. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
because that was another big thing. Is she was dead. She was alive. Mm-hmm. It was it was hard to figure out where where she was. But like I said in my tweet, you know, I think it gave her more motivation to save the island, and it mm-hmm. also sidestepped so many cliches from the older Disney movies. Oh but, sure, sure. But I have to admit, I was kind of stunned by the tweet where they were talking about that they made the decision only six months out. Okay, she has a mom, and it's sort of like really, yeah. That movie was very in flux. Speaking of which, Lynn manuel chimed in and was talking about, well, first of all, I love the story that Disney hired him before Hamilton. I mean, I guess Hamilton, it was written and they were doing the off-Broadway yeah. workshops or that sort of thing. But it's really In the Heights that got him this gig. I mean, In the Heights, have you seen In the Heights, Jim? I have not. You know, in fact, I was very much looking forward to uh, the movie this summer. Yes. (laughs) Now, now, whether or not I can say that I've seen that movie, Jim, is a a whole different matter. But I will say that I've heard the songs now. Mm -hmm. And I loved it, you know. Okay. Yeah, it's really special. I think you're going to like the movie a lot. But but here's the thing. So you hired this guy, and then as you're making your movie, well, well, first of all, he talks about the fact that, you know, here he is working on Moana's big song, How Far I'll Go. Mm-hmm. And, but this is when Let It Go is exploding. You know, Frozen has just come out, so this must be 2013. And the notion of, I, I have to keep Let It Go out of my head while I work on How Far I'll Go. So that was the toughest song in the score. On the other hand, I guess Your Welcome mm-hmm. was the easiest. You know, he wrote that in two days. That was partially because it turns out he was such a huge Dwayne Johnson fan. And in fact, Osnan Shuru was talking about when they were talking about Maui. He's like, look, there's only one person for this. There's literally only one guy. And, you know, let's hope we can get him. So the fact that they got him for this film and and I guess Miranda was was a big enough fan of WWE. He actually knew he could go to YouTube and find the episodes where Dwayne had sung at wrestling matches. Wow. And so, so he could you know, figure out what his range was. But yeah, then Miranda goes on to tell the story about they're going to have the initial recording session for you welcome. But Dwayne's down in Florida, I guess, working on Ballers. So Miranda has the one day off he has from appearing in Hamilton on Broadway. So he flies down on a Monday and they're going to do the session. (laughs) So he goes up, Dwayne is, what do you think of the song? And it's like, "Well, well, where's the rap section? And he's like, sir, yes, sir. You know, it goes off and immediately writes a rap section to drop into the, the, the song. And we're all the better for it, Jim. We are. We are. You know, the other thing they talk about is Lynn wanted from the get go to sort of musicalize the climax of this movie. And the problem was, if you look back at Disney animated films, you know, literally by the time you get to the climax, the songs are over. Because, again, you have to deliver the goods. You're running toward the curtain. So if you think about Sleeping Beauty, when it's time for Philip to battle with Maleficent as a dragon, there's music, but there's not a song. Uh, Likewise, when Aladdin is battling with Jafar as a snake, there's no song. And they tried so hard to give Jafar a song in that thing. Like I once got to do an interview with Jonathan Freeman, and he talked about there must have been three different Jafar songs that they wrote, and you know, not a, one of them made it into the finished film. But Lynn was determined that our movie is going to be the one that has a musical climax, and, you know, and we're going to have a song. And it was only, he was in his dressing room, and he was trying to figure out a way around it, because it's like, all right, you know, maybe we do a reprise of something. 
And it was only then he realized that there was this great piece of music that had been written under the scene where Baby Moana meets the ocean for the first time. And it's like, oh, what if we did that piece of music, but with like a counter melody and with with lyrics? You know, now suddenly it's a bookend because, you know, we're calling back to something early in the movie. And, you know, he was he was thrilled. But at the same time, he was doing all of this writing in his dressing room at the Richard Rogers and then sending it to Disney. But, you know, his secret weapon is he'd have all of his demos recorded by the cast of Hamilton. So even That's the crappy, right. you know, even the crappy songs sounded wonderful. <laughs> you know, so it's like, uh, uh, I, yeah. somebody out there's got to have that demo. You know, yeah. I would love to hear that. I think there's like an expanded version of the soundtrack that might have some of that stuff Ooh. on it. Okay, we'll and, have to chase that down. And also the movie used to start with the wayfinding song that they reprise at the end. That, you know, where she goes into the boats and she has that flashback to the sort of musical yeah. number of the whole. So that used to be the start of the movie. So talk about even more musical parallel. That started the movie and then they have the, the reprise at the end. Mm -hmm. where they're all out on their the new boats and stuff. So that was another way that, that at one point, it was even more of a parallel. So Okay. Can I ask an unfortunate question here? Because sure. I've always <laughs> been fascinated by this. I mean, face it, when you look at the credits of Moana, you know, first thing up is it's a Ron Clements, John Musker movie. And then we get... Chris Williams. Chris and Williams. Don Hall. Don Hall. Yeah. Um, do you have any insight into what the, the split hell happened? <laughs> well, can you talk about that? I, or? I think I think the way I can say it is that Ron and John, mm -hmm. this was their first computer animated movie, mm -hmm. and they needed all hands on deck, mm -hmm. and the whole studio came together to get it across the finish line. And they finally did. I mean, I was in dailies one time with Ron mm -hmm. and John. I think that Ron was actually out sick that day. But, mm -hmm. I mean, they were approving shots. It wasn't like... I'm very curious as to what Don and Chris did for the mm -hmm. movie. And now that Chris is gone from Disney, maybe we'll, we'll somehow hear that a little bit easier now. But, yeah, I have no idea what happened and why that, why that is the, the way it is. And the finished product is so seamless. Oh, yeah. You know, I mean, it's, it's all of a whole, and it's a wonderful story. I'm just fascinated by that. Because that's the thing, you know, again, to double back to Zanimations, to the number of clips that are from Ron and John's films, whether it's Hercules or Aladdin or the like. And, you know, these guys delivered fully realized world earlier. You know, I'd heard that story. It was learning the CG pipeline. And, in fact, I, re I remember... I think you and I were at the same press event where they were talking about learning to work in CG, where it's like, you know, well, what am I looking at here? Well, the trapezoid, that's going to be where the character is. And right. Is, do, you, do you want the trapezoid there? And it's like, no, I, I want the character there. Well, in six weeks, there'll be a character there. And I, gonna... I will say that you'll see more of Ron very soon, mm -hmm. Jim, if you watch the Into the Unknown, the making of Frozen 2. He is... In that stuff, he's in the behind-the-scenes stuff. I guess that's all. That's all I'll tease, Jim, because we're still a little bit away from it. But well, you will okay, see Ron but, soon. Yeah. Okay, but again, downside on that, folks, is we have to wait to June 26 for that to happen. So if you're, you know, if you need to kill time, 
Well, first of all, again, there's that wonderful. How long was your hundredth episode of, of the Light Diffuse? It was over two hours, but we wanted to do something special, and you know what happened on the show, Jim. So, oh no, 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 no doubt. But I, I think I was telling you about how weirdly proud I was when. What was it? The Hollywood Reporter actually did a full-blown story about the news that you guys broke in that episode? Yeah, and I actually just looked. They did a story with Simon Pegg. They interviewed Mm -hmm. Simon Pegg, and they brought up our episode, which was so (laughs) funny. It's like, oh, my God. We're in the mainstream now, Jim. There you go. There you go. All right. So, so no pressure. But, but how do you follow something like that up, Drew? Well, you this know, week, this week we had an interview with uh, Ron Moore, who mm-hmm. you know cr- worked on Star Trek for a number of years. He created the new Battlestar Galactica. Yeah, and he was yeah, one of yeah. the first. He was one of the first screenwriters on Mission Impossible Two. Mm-hmm. So we took him down memory lane there. And actually, Disney fans will really appreciate this week's episode and next week's mm-hmm. episode because it's a two-parter with mm-hmm. Mitchell Lieb who is the head of Walt Disney Records. And at the time, mm-hmm. he released the Mission Impossible 2 soundtrack on Hollywood Records. And it <sighs> became a phenomenon. So he produced that album. And he ha- tells amazing stories about going to Australia where they were filming and playing mm-hmm. uh, Tom Cruise, you know, a Limp Biscuit song for his approval mm-hmm. and all the stuff that went into it. He even breaks a little news from Jungle Cruise. Um, and you know, we talk about Tron legacy soundtrack a little bit because he was very involved with that. And it's an amazing story, Jim. And, you know, people don't realize that Hollywood records really never had a a hit pop artist, Mm -hmm. but they put out all these soundtracks for other studios and they made all this money. They put out the varsity blues soundtrack, all this stuff that nobody else was putting out and they made all this money on it. So well, it's very I didn't fascinating. Know that. Yeah. And now, speaking of, of Mission Impossible 2, you're doing a, another viewing party. In fact, yes. this I mean, weekend, it'll, it'll already you? have gone up. But yeah, we're doing a, a watch party on Sunday for the 20th anniversary. We're going to have some giveaways from Mondo. So it should be it should be fun if you well, can handle I, Tom Cruise's hair blowing in the wind. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, the reason I bring that up now, folks, is that, that typically what happens. The last time you did a viewing party, wasn't it that the first time Mr. McQuarrie sort of stepped oh, in? Oh, yes. And- yeah. Yeah. During the Fallout one, yeah, he came he came in and said, I'll answer some questions. So Yeah. So yeah. that's the thing that, that I bring that up because it might be interesting to just sort of circle back on the Twitter feed that goes on during yes. you know the, the screening party because you never know who's going to chime in it's and what true. stories they're going to share. It's so, true. You know, so on, on the other hand, on my side of the fence, boring stuff. I mean, it's just me and Len talking on Disney Dish or, for that matter, uh, Marvelous Disney, our Marvel podcast with Aaron Adams. Likewise, Dan Z uh, and I chatting about uh, all things Star Wars related and Indiana Jones over at looking at Lucasfilm and Dustin Fuse and I, they're just about to reopen the Universal Park. So that just got interesting can't wait to see uh, you at volcano bay jim just floating down the lazy river <laughs> <laughs> i i yes i you know I'm, I'm sorry how how are we supposed to social distance at a water park you know exactly the, the, you're gonna wear your you know? mask in the on the you know I, I, I'm thinking, in fact, circling back to Scooby-Doo, you know, the deep sea diver outfit with like the steel round helmet. Yes, you know, yes. I, 
I'm looking for that. Okay. It's slow moving, but it's safe. Yes. Uh, and in, in fact, maybe the way I'll find out where I can buy one of those is, you know, by chatting with Shelly Viodolid for our I Want That podcast. But anyway, now we were just talking about, uh, again, social media, making sure that the folks are hooked up with your Twitter feed. And again, that is Twitter where tailored, uh, T-A-L-O-R-E-D, mm-hmm. and also like the Fuse pod. Um, but yeah, check it out. We'll be, we'll be tweeting up a storm, I'm sure. Okay. And Nancy wants me to remind the world that uh, we're also on Twitter and Instagram is Jim Hill Media and over at Facebook at Jim Hill Media News. Now, again, Drew's very business weekend, uh, you know, viewing party and and the like. I, on the other hand, I am uh, seriously, I swear to God, folks, I am working on the pilot episode, just finishing up the script, which Drew and I will hopefully record next week. Don't want to say too much about it other than Disney fans are going to enjoy this one in a very weird sort of way. Yes. And I guess that will do it for now. But thanks for listening, folks. And Drew and I will be back soon.